Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. This is a special report in which I leave the special part to the end after the news. Hang around to hear my personal confession. This week was a special ninth of Av week both before and after and most particularly on the day of the ninth of Av. Here's a chronology of events. Trump and Netanyahu announced their deal with Putin on July 16, Av 4. The nation state bill enacted July 18, Av 6. Russia and Israel back out of the deal. July 22, of 9. And a large stone falls from the Western Wall. July 23, of 10. And on of 11, the IDF shoots down a Syrian fighter jet after it flew through Israeli airspace and crashed in southern Syria in a test run of the upcoming war. Two days before Israel's Knesset voted on the nation-state bill, Presidents Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin met in Helsinki, Finland, and discussed Israel, Syria, and Iran at their meeting, where Putin said Russia was helping to crush terrorists in the southwest of Syria, to bring peace to the Golan Heights, and also provide security for the state of Israel. Putin made these statements while sitting with Trump. According to J-Post, probably never before have Moscow and Washington been closer in terms of listening to Israel's concerns. The fact that both Washington and Moscow have their own agendas in Syria, neither of which always mesh with Israel's agenda, was left unsaid. The fact is, Russia cannot remove Iran from Syria, which is Israel's main goal. Washington also has not committed to removing Iran from Syria, since it is still concentrating resources on defeating ISIS. Putin sees Iran as an important player in the region, not as an adversary. He would also like to work more closely with Turkey. Trump, meanwhile, is adamantly opposed to Iran. Putin was noticeably tight-lipped about his views regarding Tehran's policies. The U.S. briefly stated goals. Russia prefers the veneer of discussing international law while maintaining the opaque nature of Moscow's actual policy relating to Iran. Overall, the meeting between the two leaders was weak on substance. That was last week. Here's what's happening this week. The press and almost no one else are impressed with the outcome of that summit. USA Today says, Vanity and vulnerability, not strategy, are driving Donald Trump's Russia policy. His Helsinki performance was terrifying. Trump has already announced another summit this fall in Washington, but without the promise of deliverables, there's no reason for another summit. Trump, however, has his own personal, political, and egotistical reasons for engaging Russian President Vladimir Putin, and unfortunately... They have very little to do with advancing U.S. national interests. Helsinki wasn't about foreign policy at all. It was designed to advance and protect Trump's personal Putin agenda, either his fear that Russia has leverage over him, his clear preference for dealing with authoritarians over America's democratic allies, or his contrarian desire to give the middle finger to all those who dared to warn him not to deal with Putin one-on-one. -on -one. There's no reason to think a reprise will be any different, particularly if, as is likely, the President has another long private meeting with Putin. 
This is exactly the behavior of Donald Trump I've been warning about. It's the behavior that will get Israel attacked by Iran under the watchful and protective eye of the Russians. Israel will be defenseless when Iran attacks because the Russians will protect Iran from Israel's defenses. I cannot stress enough the damage that Donald Gog Drumpf is doing to Israel. In fact, Donald's big ego has already further endangered Israel because only four days after the Helsinki summit and Trump and Putin's press conference, Russia has reneged on everything. It didn't take weeks or months this time, as it did last year. It was days. Last week's Helsinki deal was to hand over to Russian responsibility of all parts of southern and southwestern Syria abutting on the Israeli and Jordanian borders, including, most importantly, surveillance and observation elevations that oversee all parts of Syria, Iraq, Jordan, Israel, Lebanon, and the eastern Mediterranean. Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu gave Putin a valuable asset for boosting Russia's military presence in Syria and the region at large. Well, that was then, and this is now. Debka.com filed this story on Sunday, July 22, 2018, the 9th of Ob. The U.S.-Russian-Israel formula for South Syria is not working. This became clear in phone conversations on Friday, July 20th, between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Vladimir Putin and their defense ministers. The understandings they had apparently reached were proving inoperable, including Russia's guarantees for the non-presence of Iranian militias and Hezbollah near Israel's Golan border. The breakdown stemmed from an abrupt Russian U-turn. Russian diplomats were suddenly claiming that Moscow never agreed to have Iranian proxies and Hezbollah pushed back from the Israel border or out of Syria at large. Netanyahu and Lieberman responded by declaring that Israel would now feel free to wipe out any positions or bases those pro-Iranian Hezbollah forces fighting with Syrian army units may set up in Dara and Kanitra. Strikes would also continue as before against those targets in other parts of Syria. The Russian IDF military coordination mechanism in Syria would continue to function to avert clashes and the Russian military will not interfere with Israel military operations in Syria. That is the way it should be. One Israeli official said Jerusalem's goal is to remove Iran from all of Syria. Well, Iran has said they won't withdraw unless the Syrian government asks them to. Russia has tried to get Israel to agree to stop attacking Syrian sites in return for keeping the Iranians away from the frontier. But on Monday, Netanyahu and Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman and Chief of General Staff Lieutenant General Gadi Eisenkot met with the Russian delegation where they spread out maps for the Russians and showed their intelligence information about where the Iranians have entrenched themselves throughout Syria, including close to the border. Last Friday... Russia did an about-face. Then on Monday, July 24, Israel rejected a new Russian proposal to move Iran and its proxies 100 kilometers from the Golan border instead of all the way out of Syria. The Russians then confirmed on Tuesday that Israel had rejected the Russian proposal 
but not before the Russian embassy in Israel posted a response on its official Facebook page denying that Israel had rejected the offer. In other words, mass confusion. In the midst of all this confusion, Syria flew a fighter jet one mile into Israeli airspace for the first time in 45 years on Tuesday. The IDF shot it down and it crashed in southern Syria outside Israel's borders. Some reports said that the Syrian fighter jet was targeting Syrian rebels in Syria and not Israel. The truth is the Syrian plane took off from the T-4 airbase in Syria and then flew towards Israel at high speed. The IDF issued warnings and messages through different channels in various languages numerous times over the day to avoid any misunderstandings or any violations of Israeli airspace. The IDF continued to deliver messages through various channels, including through the UN and the UNDOF. By using the Iranian T-4 airbase to send a fighter jet to buzz one mile inside Israel's sovereign airspace, the Syrians are one, showing the world that they indeed are controlled by Iran, and two, what the Israelis say about Iran being able to attack Israel from just about any place inside Syria is true. These two points have now been demonstrated and I believe this was not only a threat to Israel but a test run to find out just how far they can push Israel. Following Israel's downing of the Syrian warplane, a Syrian source said Syria's first priority is to finish the civil war, but that Israel won't have to wait long. The source also insisted the plane did not infiltrate Israel and was downed over Syrian territory, not Israeli territory, where it was shot and flew into Syrian territory before crashing. Israel defended its position by presenting the Russians with a radar image that proves unequivocally that the plane had penetrated Israeli territory. Debka.com reports this week that Russia has now allowed Shiite militias to come closer to Israel's border. Contrary to his pledges to the U.S. and Israel, Putin is allowing Hezbollah and Shiite militias loyal to Tehran to operate freely at this moment on the Syrian-Israeli Golan border. Here is a list of these hostile forces. International Brigade 313, which is a mix of Shiite militias under IRGC officers that was transferred to Kenitra last week after fighting for Bashar Assad in Daraa. The Kenitra Hawks, made up of several hundred Hezbollah commandos, which is attached to the Syrian army's 7th Division, Three foreign Shiite militias fighting under IRGC officers which are deployed in southern Syrian areas close to the Israeli border. Several hundred Hezbollah fighters who are posted at Khan Arnabe near Kunitra as an operational reserve and are attached to the Syrian army's 5th division and the Al-Git force, an armored unit of the Syrian army's 4th division has taken up position inside the buffer zone opposite the Golan town of Majdal Shams. Israel's leaders confronted their Russian visitors with the charge that if they can't or won't remove these hostile forces from Israel's doorstep, how can they be trusted to keep their pledge to hold them at a distance of a hundred kilometers? Right. Israel also called for Russia to shut down the land bridge which Iran had been allowed to lay in the past few years from Iraq to Syria. Since last week when 
Trump and Putin were all gushy over each other in Helsinki, Iranian Revolutionary Guards have been pushing military convoys loaded with fighters and arms from western Iraq into eastern Syria where they refuel to continue across the corridor. This invasion by Syria into Israel has further complications in that one of the two David Sling missiles fired have now fallen into enemy hands. By now, the missile is almost certainly being studied by Russian and Syrian intelligence engineers, and it's only a matter of time before its secrets reach the hands of Iran and Hezbollah. This loss is a grave setback for Israel's air defense systems and intelligence which is also shared by the U.S. Furthermore, the IDF launched an unprecedented humanitarian operation inside Syria to transfer 800 white helmets rescuers and their families out of southern Syria and into Jordan. Now please pay attention to this. This next statement reveals what I've been saying that Israel is not a sovereign state and is the patsy of certain governments of the world. And here's the statement. At the request of the United States and European countries. Upon request of the U.S., Canada, and European states, Israel has completed a humanitarian effort to rescue members of the Syrian civil organization known as the White Helmets and their families. Yes, friends, the U.S. and allies are once again using Israel putting Israelis in harm's way to protect their own interests in the Middle East. They are using Israel as a proxy fighting force. This should infuriate anyone who loves Israel. The only way to achieve peace in the Middle East is for the Syrians to back down and back off antagonizing Israel and Iran to back out completely out of Syria. For Shiite Iran, staying in Syria at all costs is the only way to prepare for its much-anticipated war with Israel and the southern Middle East's Sunni nations. Iran is now in full swing with its backer, Russia, to take on Israel. For now, though, the result is a standoff, one that cannot and will not last forever. This stalemate will eventually result in all-out war between the Iranian coalition and Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia will fall too. Russia and the United States will likely go to war on U.S. soil and in the Middle East in direct combat without proxies. Meaning without Israel because Israel will be crippled by Iran. I look for the Gulf of Aqaba and Eilat to be the focal point of that battle after Iran has conquered the other nations. President Trump and Iranian President Rouhani are having a war of words this week. Trump launched a furious all-caps Twitter rebuke of Iran declaring, You will suffer consequences the likes of which few have ever suffered before. That tweet, which was posted late Sunday night, follows an apparent warning issued by Iran's President Hassan Rouhani, in which he cautioned Americans must understand that war with Iran is the mother of all wars, and peace with Iran is the mother of all peace, according to Iranian state media reports. Now we're going to talk about the nation-state law again. Progressive Jews blast the new nation-state law as a danger to Israel's future, saying 
The Israel we all know just ended, thanks to Netanyahu. The same night the bill was passed, a conservative rabbi living in Haifa, Rabbi Dov Hayun, was hauled out of bed at 5 a.m. and arrested for performing a wedding without permission from the rabbinate. The combination of the two events happening on the same day created a sense of crisis and despair among liberal Zionists in the U.S. Rabbi Stephen Wernick, CEO of the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism, put it this way, After my colleague in Haifa is pulled out of bed, arrested, and summoned back for officiating at a non-Orthodox wedding, and the passage of the nation-state law, I do not believe we can talk about a gap between Israel and the diaspora, Wernick wrote in a letter to the Israeli government. It is now a canyon. Israel is losing its soul and weakening its democracy and Jewish character. Its beacon of light on the nations is now dim, he said. And if you are an Israeli Arab today, you certainly are feeling delegitimized as a citizen of the state. And Wernick wrote on Facebook that the risk of theocracy in Israel is not just hyperbole. Just to be clear, theocracy is not the same as Yeshua's kingdom on earth of which all Hebrews are citizens both now and in the coming millennium. The American Jewish Committee put out a statement against the nation-state law saying it was deeply disappointed over its passage. About 50 rabbis took a further step by surrendering themselves to police on Friday morning in protest against the arrest of prominent conservative Rabbi Dov Hayun on Thursday, where they were then instructed to prepare an orderly record of the names of the couples they married, the dates of the ceremonies, and witness names in order for the individual cases to be investigated. This reminded me of the Obama administration's City of Houston test case in which the pastors were asked to turn in their sermons if they spoke against gay marriage. Remember that? We in the U.S. decried that move. Well, the same thing just happened in Israel from some Jews against other Jews. In contrast... Officers at the Tel Aviv police station claimed there was no reason for any arrests or further investigation, despite the fact that the officiants who gathered there claimed to have performed more than 1,000 marriages outside the framework of the Orthodox rabbinate. Rabbi Rick Jacobs, president of the Union for Reform Judaism, stated that it is regrettable that the government of Israel has been unresponsible to the voices of protest from Israel and world Jewry that are rooted in love for Israel, Zionism, and respect for the Jewish and democratic state envisioned by Israel's founders. According to the Times of Israel, Rabbi Dov Hayun's arrest signals Israel is no longer for all Jews. Hayun, who has been officiating at non-Orthodox weddings in Israel for decades, appeared hours after his release at an event at the residence of President Reuven Rivlin, participating in a program in which he taught Torah to reform, conservative, orthodox, and secular Jewish scholars. Rabbi Julie Schoenfeld, who leads the U.S.-based Rabbinical Assembly, which represents conservative rabbis worldwide, also expressed indignation over the arrest. Hayun's detention, she emphasized, was a manifestation of the reality under which non-Orthodox Jews live in Israel and that diaspora Jews confront when they visit. 
According to 972 Magazine, Netanyahu's surrender on the Holocaust law is part of a quid pro quo designed to relocate Eastern European embassies to Jerusalem. There are diplomatic and political excuses for all of Netanyahu's actions, but there is a bigger picture as well. The leader of the largest Jewish population in the world is consciously abandoning, if not attacking, modern Jewish identity in order to usher in a new Judaism. What kind? Look to the Jewish nation-state and Holocaust laws to find out. The Holocaust law endangers the free discussion about the Holocaust and presents a whitewashed narrative of Polish behavior during World War II. 972 Magazine continues, Politicians from across the Israeli spectrum hurled attacks at the Prime Minister. Yad Vashem, Israel's Holocaust Museum, voiced official dissent while Israel prize-winning Holocaust historian Yehuda Bauer delivered the most biting indictment calling the law a betrayal and a complete lie. Just weeks later, Netanyahu pushed the controversial Jewish nation-state law through the Knesset despite tremendous public and institutional backlash. The law deviously leaves out any commitment to equal rights, it legalizes preferential settlement building for Jews, and downgrades Arabic's status as an official language of the state. Netanyahu wants to mutate Jewish identity into Jewish hubris and turn Israel into a walled fortress of illiberal ethnocracy, according to 972 magazine. Finance Minister Moshe Kalon admitted on Thursday that mistakes were made in the recently approved nation-state law, saying it should be amended. The act of the nation-state law was done hastily, he said. We were wrong, and we need to fix it. And Educational Minister Naftali Bennett, who supported and voted for the law, admitted on Wednesday to belatedly realizing that the law hurt the feelings of members of Israel's Druze community. This is why we are to not act first and get permission later especially lawmakers who don't have a kingdom perspective. The Druze have now filed a lawsuit in the Israeli Supreme Court. The petitioners seek annulment of the law, officially known as the Basic Law on Israel as the nation-state of the Jewish people. They argued that it violates the right to equality and deems that non-Jewish minorities have no status in this state. The petitioners further maintained that the law harms Druze members of the security forces, including Druze soldiers, as well as the Druze bereaved families, who have been, in fact, exiled from their country despite their sacrifice for it. According to the petition, the law completely ignores the Druze minority in particular and the Arab minority in general. The petition also states that not only does it define Israel as a state with an emphasis on its Jewishness, it also enshrines the collective rights of the Jewish majority. The Arab minority, which constitutes only 20% of Israel's citizens, receives no recognition at all of its collective rights, but beyond this, it does not even win recognition as a minority in Israel, while individual rights are not protected at all. Legal experts told Haaretz they believe the likelihood of the court striking down the law was very low because it had the constitutional status of a basic law. The Arabs are taking their case to the European Union with whom they will meet on September 4th. Now, one last article about a warning that Yahweh sent to his people this week. 
a 220-pound stone fell from the western wall. Miraculously, a woman who was praying nearby was not hurt. You can click on this link to watch the video of the stone falling. Yahweh uses stoning for punishment. This is not a coincidence that he tumbled a stone from the wailing wall, which has now been declared for Jews only, along with everything else in Israel. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Kimberly Rogers Brown thanking you for listening to the Jerusalem Report produced by BeastWatchNews.com and asking you to send your support. A donation of any size to BeastWatchNews.com. It costs money to run ministries, to teach the word, interpret the prophecies, and to keep websites online. Trust me, we sure do appreciate it. And remember, you can read the transcript of today's broadcast under the Jerusalem Report at BeastWatchNews.com Join Pete Rambo and Kimberly Rogers Brown in Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. 16 nights for only $825. Offer includes breakfast and dinner. Does not include airfare, other transportation, or lunch. Present yourself before the eyes and heart of the King in Jerusalem. Go to AniYosef.com for details. A-N-I-Y-O-S-E-F.com See you this year in Jerusalem and stay tuned for details on the upcoming Jerusalem tour. Such a deal. Join the Rambo and Brown Jerusalem Tour at Sukkot 2018 for only $199 for three days or $74 a day for a single day in case you can't attend all three days. We will visit the important sites in Jerusalem Old City plus Mount Herzl and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. You will see amazing archaeological evidence of Jerusalem and Temple Mount going back thousands of years. This year in Jerusalem. Now, time for confession. I want to tell you something about me that you don't know because I haven't explained it well. A friend pointed it out to me saying I ought to explain how I got to this point in understanding of the Jews and Israel and why I've criticized them so much lately. He wanted to know how my criticism of Israel is different than the UN or UNESCO or the EU, for instance. And I agreed that you need to understand this. My Torah walk is over 12 years now, and it has been one of intense study, research, with a zealousness and love for the kingdom from the start. Early on, I made decisions on how to walk by asking two questions. Did Yeshua do this, and will we be doing this in the kingdom? The latter question is the question for the Jubilee. Getting the answers to both questions required me to research starting with the Sabbath. Yeshua kept the seventh-day Sabbath, even according to the church, who also says the Sabbath was never changed to the first day of the week, and since I'm to be like him, to be his image on earth, I started keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day and stopped calling Sunday the Sabbath. This all started over 12 years ago. This was a first move in the direction of upholding the kingdom to leave behind man's religious ideas. By studying the Sabbath, I became acutely aware of the destructiveness of theologies and religions parading as representing Yahweh. These are just man's opinions and interpretations. So I determined that I would seek his perspective and his kingdom. That is my goal. Well, it rubs everybody the wrong way. But Yeshua said, Seek the kingdom first, then all these other things will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom means leaving religion behind 
religion, theology are man's ideas about God. But God tells us about himself through the kingdom, its terminology and its practices. I take the commandments literally and try to perform them all to the best of my ability and to the fullest extent of the law even when I don't understand why. I believe this is what it means to walk in the light. I can see my way even if I don't know where the light is leading me. You see, there have been times when my former Christian schooling clouded the light and I would teach you wrong understanding. And I've had to publicly repent of teaching false doctrine. One example of this has to do with the feasts. I understood that keeping the feasts was required of me. Yeshua kept them, so I kept them. But within a few years, I realized I had missed a piece. I had missed that I must go to Jerusalem to keep them. Because Jerusalem is his only authorized place to keep them because that's where his name is. You see, I thought we needed to have a temple in order to do the feasts in Jerusalem. Therefore, I thought I could fulfill them anywhere I lived or wanted to go, so I taught you that. Then the Ruach cleared that up for me when I tried to refute what a friend told me about the need to go to Jerusalem. So I repented. Some people believe a teacher publicly repenting is a danger to that teacher's ministry. But you see, this is not my ministry. It is Yahweh's, and when He corrects me, I must correct you. There isn't a teacher or leader on earth who has all the answers. So I admit my mistakes and failures and try to do better afterward. Yahweh called me to do what I do. And what I do requires a lot of research, prayer, study, so I can share what I find with you. But there isn't enough time inside Beast Watch News reports to share all of the years of studies and thought processes I've been through and all the information I've gleaned. So I give you links to a lot of material in each report so that you can see what I see. In my teachings, I reveal the the string of thought with the scriptures and the reasoning I used so you can know how I arrived at a conclusion. I do this because I want you to be a Berean and test all things. This is because I know I'm not perfect. One recent struggle I've had has been over the Jubilee. Since the start of its anticipation in 2012, many have struggled with the exact year. The next question had to do with Israel. Would they honor it or not? If they honored it, what would that mean? What would that look like? If they didn't honor it, what would that mean or what would that look like? When I began studying the Jubilee Commandments, Yahweh did not reveal anything to me about this particular Jubilee. It would take a few years before I would see the effect of this Jubilee and its connections to the coming Great Tribulation. And I believe this revelation came from Yahweh, and only in the last few months. I studied and studied and began to understand some details about the Jubilee in general, but what I learned didn't fit into current events. After years of studying and trying to see how the Jubilee fit the news, Yahweh finally put his thumb drive into my brain and showed me. Right away, I began sharing with you. 
God used events in my own life to help me sort the information I'd been gleaning for years into a kingdom perspective of the Jubilee and not a theological one. So what was the theology, the religious ideas of men that obscured my understanding? Well, first was that the current political state of Israel and the land the Jews occupy is only for the Jews. I had understood long ago that the Jews are not the entirety of Yahweh's kingdom and have talked with you about that. But only recently did the full impact of that understanding come into view in relation to what it means for a nation that declares a jubilee without all of its people. As soon as I understood it, I started talking about it, which made people on both sides, among the Jews and among the Christians, even in Hebrew roots who don't identify as Christians any longer, very uncomfortable. I had understood that the house of Israel had been scattered to be sown as seeds to bring back to the kingdom a great harvest of souls for Yahweh, according to Zechariah 10.9. The house of Israel has a place and purpose in Yahweh's kingdom, but I failed to see its fullness until recently and I'm certain I still don't understand all about this subject so as I get more understanding I will share it with you here's what I saw and what I've been sharing with you the jubilee is about the restoration of all of Yahweh's kingdom not a part of it a partial restoration is no restoration at all but furthermore a national oath spoken from the mouths of men will be required of those men even if they don't know what they're speaking we see this in Joshua chapter 9 I started calling on the Jews to abandon their religious theology in favor of kingdom doctrine I began calling them to restore the land through annexation complete annexation of the West Bank and Gaza Strip to open their arms and find a way to embrace non-Jews who belong to the land as they do and to step up their role as the kingly tribe to rule over all 12 tribes and to attempt bringing back those from the other tribes that are not represented within their current Jewish culture without forcing conversion to Judaism. I have publicly repented to Jews in conference speeches and individually for the sins that my ancestors committed against the kingdom of Israel 2900 years ago even today I repent for my ancestors sins going further back this repentance is based on Leviticus 26 verses 40 to 42 where it tells me that I must accept the responsibility of the sins I inherited from my fathers repent of those and repent of my personal acts of sins for this I've been called an anti-Semite Jew hater and worker with the devil and even pro-Palestinian much to my horror I am none of these I am kingdom oriented but just as in Yeshua's day as he called his own people to orient themselves toward the kingdom the kingdom is still being rejected by Yahweh's people because the kingdom is too big too broad and different to fit into their small religions their tiny theologies it has been publicly stated 
that my research is faulty and it has been implied that I should be ashamed to speak anything not pleasing to Jews about Jewish theology a theology which is upheld by the way by Christian theology that says everything belongs to the Jews only this is because Christians are taught they will inherit heaven not the land in Hebrew roots we come to understand that it is the land that we inherit because we are Abraham's promised inheritance along with the land the jubilee cannot be fulfilled with only four tribes I have read you this understanding even from Judaism's own writings yet the Jews have now made an oath before men and God to have God's kingdom their way on their terms against what scripture says for this war is coming when I first saw the truth about the Sabbath I got all excited and thought everyone would share my excitement if I could just show it to them well they weren't and they called me nuts I reasoned it was because they were still trapped in Christian theology and when I saw the truth about the feasts I got excited and thought surely everyone would get excited about this understanding after all they'd come out of Christianity declaring that all they want is to obey their king and please him well they weren't excited and I reasoned it was because our Hebrew roots people are all at different places when I saw the truth of the Jubilee what it means from Yahweh's and the kingdom's perspective I thought some people would be excited you see by now I had learned that most of the time people don't jump on board with my new revelations it takes time but nearly everyone was against me this time that's okay over my lifetime from childhood forward I have been ostracized and abused now I see that Yahweh was preparing me for taking heat and boy I can take a lot of heat so no matter what people say against me I will continue to speak the truth as much as I have of it and if I'm teaching something in error and someone can show that to me clearly using the same standards of Bible study and research that I have set for myself I will repent and do better as I move along as I have shown you that I do from the past but unfortunately where the Jubilee is concerned we don't have another Jubilee cycle another 50 years for everyone to get on board I don't know how much time we have but if Yeshua doesn't come I won't be around for the next one and most likely neither will you now I wonder if he tarries will there even be a political state of Israel in 50 years I wonder this because the Jews are not following the kingdom they're following theology Judaism and a culture that was developed over the last 2700 years since the split in the kingdom of Israel and its currently ongoing civil war for 2900 years these two houses have been at war with each other aren't you getting tired of this civil war between brethren wouldn't you just like to get this restoration happening and get all 12 tribes back in the land occupying their rightful God-given territories aren't you just chomping at the bit like I am to take on Israel's enemies and I mean all of Israel's enemies 
the enemies of the Jews are also enemies of Christians and Hebrew roots folks like us I know I am I'm ready to rumble brother and Christians are not following the kingdom either they follow theology Christianity I am calling on my brethren in both houses to look to the kingdom seek the kingdom let go of the theologies learn the kingdom's terminologies for the Jews this means getting a kingdom understanding of the Messiah for the Christians it means the same thing he is the king start understanding his kingdom from his point of view criticisms I make of Judaism and Christianity are meant to help people get into the kingdom the UN UNESCO US EU Russia China the Palestinians with their terrorism that they believe will somehow make it possible for only them to inherit the land of Abraham and all the rest of the nations put a heavy load on Israel that is not expected of other nations and I deplore this for my Jewish brethren I hate BDS I hate how the UN and UNESCO have tried to take away Temple Mount from Israel I despise the world and its mission to destroy Israel I suspect that within the DNA of all people is the knowledge that Judah holds the scepter and world leaders want to rip the scepter away from Judah so they can rule the world well the world will have a new world order ruled over by the coming Messiah who came through the tribe of Judah and is coming again he is coming to rule over them the world wants Judah to divide Israel I want Judah to unite Israel with 12 tribes the world wants Judah to be ruled by the UN I want Judah to be ruled by Yahweh the UN wants to rule the world but it is Israel's 12 tribed right to rule the world the nations so you see sometimes it sounds like I'm agreeing with the world but you need to know that what I say comes from the kingdom perspective that's it for this Beast Watch News update this is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy